Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up woman. This podcast is brought to you by M&S Beauty. They've done the legwork so you don't have to. Prepare to be surprised. By the way, if you listen to this on a new app called Entail, E-N-T-A-L-E, you'll be able to see pictures, shop links, and generally have a really relaxing magazine experience. So, Emily, how are you? Uh, well, I'm absolutely fine, but I hit another mental rock bottom this week. And every time I hit a mental rock bottom, I think, okay, that's it. I cannot feel any madder or lower or crazier. And no, there's another one in the post. So there you go. That's me. How are you, Annabelle? Well, I'm absolutely fine. Apart from the fact that impatience has started to eat my soul. It's now so bad that I walk around um, with a pounding heart, kind of radiating evil and um, alienating everybody. And I don't know how to make it stop. And I flatly refuse to meditate. But it could be worse because today we have with us the sensational Bella Freud who you will know because she's recognized the world over as a master of upmarket irreverence. Her label and her word jumpers have come to signify an intellectual playfulness that has started a kind of global conversation about fashion and identity. Bella is probably above all else a storyteller. Of course, Controversy and innovation are hardwired into her. Um, the artistic trailblazing of her father, the artist Lucian, and the psychoanalytic pioneering of her great-grandfather Sigmund are all subtly woven through her work. Hello, Bella. Hello. <laughs> so, Bella, how are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm fine, and when I'm not fine, I tend to either tell a very close circle, very small amount of people. I have a good network. And if someone asks me and slightly invades my space, my I'm fine is very hostile. And it's a big slam door in the face, which isn't particularly constructive, but it's... So basically you throw out I'm fine like a grenade. Yeah. <laughs> the I'm fine wall. We're going to look at... Um, our emotional lives and our physical lives and how they connect a little bit. And um, I suppose we thought we'd start with um, the idea that however much we kid ourselves, it all starts with our mothers. Um, and what are your memories as a little girl of your mother's relationship with her body and her reflection? She seemed quite uninterested in her. She, she was very unvain. I mean, I was 18. I mean, she was 18 when I was born. So, and in the 60s, you know, she wasn't married. She had a very unconventional sort of relationship with the world. And so she was incredibly beautiful. She didn't really bother or wear makeup. I think she, her kind of rebellion was not to be conventional, not to be done. And so she would wear like hippie clothes and had long dark hair and I think she used to wear a bit of coal sometimes, and that was pretty much it. I've never seen her put anything in her bath until later in life she would put a bit of sage essential oil or some so tiny thing like that. I never saw her kind of really get ready, prepare herself. 
So she didn't have sort of armour in that way. Not in that way. I remember not in that way. <laughs> I remember my grandmother would um you know, she'd answer the door happily, you know, in her nighty with no bra, but she would always have her lipstick on and her nails done. And mm. she always had in her bath, she used to use baddy das, but she called it Bardi Da. Oh, Love it. So my mum used to so stick good. stars on her face when she went out. And she always wore fracas, so you could smell her coming down the corridor. And then she wouldn't have really any makeup on at all. But then these painstakingly silver stars on her, like highlighter, was kind of amazing. So I always thought she was sort of, you know, incredibly starry. So uh, you don't remember any sort of rituals, her sitting at a dressing table or... Never. No. She never had a dressing table. Um, oh, she used to wear jewellery. She liked... She used to wear this um, silver, like, Berber jewellery that she bought in Morocco and she had very few things so she always had those things she had a silver bangle which was really lovely a sort of engraved silver bangle and then maybe some earrings silvery you know stuff that the Berber women used to wear and um and and your and your your father Lucian do you do you think that um the artist's eye that he had affected the way that um that you looked at your body or other women's bodies? Did it alter your idea of physical beauty to think about it through that kind of lens? I never thought about that through how he might look at it. It was much more influenced by my mother, as you said, it all starts with our mothers. And I had an incredibly negative view of myself. And I don't know, I don't even necessarily think it's all to do with a physical comment, but Certainly, it seems to manifest like that, a feeling of not being right. So the nearest thing to you is to look round, down and there's your body and find fault with it. What were your sort of hang-ups as a, as a very young woman? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I just... Um, so many. I, it's so sad. I hate thinking back because now I really like my body. I think that's really interesting. <clears throat> I think we're finding that more and more is that your imperfections you know, all the things that tortured you as a, you know, 15 upwards mm. are now, you kind of are a part of your stride, a part of your, the map of you. Mm. I think my, definitely when I got pregnant, I fell sort of in love with my body and thought, God, it's been so useful. It's doing this wonderful thing. And and I also, really liked it. Yeah, I found that, um, I think pregnancy can give your body a kind of narrative. Mm. Um, and so, Let's talk about the, the many faces of Bella. <laughs> so when you were 15, what was the height of glamour and sophistication for you as far as hair and makeup and scent and any of that stuff? Were you into that? Um, I was I was admiring of it, but because I hadn't had any of my mother sort of encouragement in that area, I had a lot of... I was quite ashamed of being interested and I was a really kind of adamant tomboy and I, I was sort of mystified. I remember there was a beautiful girl at my school who had very dark rimmed eyes and I thought they would just like that. I just never <laughs> realized that she wore eyeliner. It just, I was so naive in a way because I, I suppose I'd never seen my mother doing it or no one had said this is what you do. So I thought she was just born with these fantastic, you know, dark rings around her eyes and and then a couple of girls would say oh this is what you do you know so I quickly kind of tried um, um, and so when you experimented mm. what went right and what went wrong um well 
I think the time when I really got into makeup was more as a, a kind of mask was in the punk rock days when I was 16. And people, we used to, there was, an, again, this girl, she used to wear pan stick. We'd pan stick our faces white, like pale, and then sometimes wear a really red lip and pitch black eyes, and then sometimes leave the lip off. And then I, I never really wore lipstick again. I, I don't like drawing attention. I'm really into speaking, but I don't want any attention on my mouth for some reason. I like a blank mouth. So I What were you doing with your hair during the punk rock days? So I had really, I had waist length hair until I was, became a punk. And the waist length hair was a source of, admir- like my mother, everyone loved my hair. And so it was quite exhilarating to cut the fucking stuff off (laughs) and just fuck them all off and you know I remember going back to my school when I was 16 I've only been back twice and that was then and I went back with short punky hair spiky spiky and a Vivian Westwood mini dress with a picture of Marilyn Monroe with piss written across the front (laughs) and uh I felt like this is me, you know, this is who I am. And these, I remember this girl saying, oh, what happened to your beautiful hair? And thinking, you know. Thinking, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you sad. That was then and this is now. When you were experimenting with your black eyes and your pale face and your hair, did it ever occur to you what boys might think? Was that ever part of the picture? Um... God, I don't know if I thought that. I I was more thinking about a kind of face that I could, or a look that I could have that I could stop myself feeling self-conscious. So if I did too much or drew too much attention to myself, I couldn't really, I would have to just go home really. So I liked, I used to re. I I was interested in, you know, the sort of, foil like the f- my appearance I like to make myself look quite you know like someone from a convent very kind of composed and covered but I was totally wild and I thought oh yeah that's that's how I can cope with myself no I and think I think I, I always felt when I put I tried to experiment with makeup when I was 15 that it made me feel more self-conscious because it looked like I tried and the fact that I had tried and also what if you did it and you still didn't feel beautiful exactly and so it's, it's really strange and now my relationship with you know all this stuff has changed completely because only very recently though very recently but because it's about it's about feeling more polished and put together which you know at a time where I you you know like I said everything feels like a sort of a series of endless mini rock bottoms the idea that I can still just have a kind of uh, a face on and when my friends who were 15 were getting ready and I used to sit at the bottom of the stairs literally shouting can you hurry up I cannot bear to see you put one more fake lash on or whatever because for me it was I, you know, I would get be ready an hour and a half before everybody mm. else. You know? And also, if you sit there and you're not doing it and they're doing it, then you start to get very resentful and threatened by it. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. that teenage thing, yeah. like you know that, that you know that you know I, I'm not interested, but they're going to look so great. Yeah, well, how do what do I do about that? I know, and not being, and I always thought they looked so beautiful and sophisticated, and I looked so. I'm doing this weird shifty thing, you know, where you're like in your skin and you're not in your skin. Anyway, I used to do it much more with clothes. I'd 
I'd get a look together, and sometimes that took a long time, but I'd do it in private. But it was, again, no one would have necessarily noticed, but... That, that you'd thought about it? Yeah, I'd, you know, because it was to do with concealing a lot and presenting something that I could then forget about myself with. And I still do that, but it's a lot... It's not such a kind of anti-thing anymore. It's a great outfit is, you know, they... People say superficial is bad, but superficial is is the beginning of the layers. So it's the top layer, and it's it's great to be able to have a great look, and then you can just be as completely unselfconscious as uninhibited as possible. And but I I don't I don't do that with makeup so much. I'd like to you know now like get try and I haven't bothered at all this morning, but you know, try and get some of the shadows out of my face. But I don't even really care that much. As long as I've got my outfit, I feel that takes care. That is my identity. And, um, yeah, I... uh, So what happened after punk rock? Oh, after punk rock, then I discovered Soul Girls... I had a friend, so I kind of went backwards. People had, because at, at where I went to school in Sussex, to a Rudolf Steiner school, people were very condescending about fashion, and it was very sneered upon, down, looked down at, which because it was perceived to be what materialistic or false, be, or, or, yeah, or kind of you know frivolous. silly or you know kind of va- vanity, and you know there's nothing it, I. If I look back and think, God, couldn't you kind of encouraged us to be a bit more into ourselves? I don't know if that was a lot the atmosphere in my home as well. It was all about accomplishment or kind of your brain. And, you know, obviously your brain is really important. But I think my mother, she didn't get that encouragement at all. And she, it, I don't, I think she just sort of forgot to, to say those things precious things which are so important and um, so I would be doing it under lockdown Um, and you know in the 70s people wore the most outrageous things and it was pretty fucking cool and really like uncool as well but I love uncool and now you know if you see kind of some old geezer or something all doled up and you know with a fake hair and go now when I see someone like that I think good for you great you <laughs> know instead go, of thinking oh god how embarrassing they're tr- look at you know can't they see everyone can tell their hair has died and now I just think it's wonderful I like seeing people who look like they've made a decision whether it's with something that they're wearing or whether it's with their face I like seeing people who've thought right this is how I feel today so this is who I'm going to be today. And, and you know, and, and I do that with makeup. I already know what you've got ready for me because my eye is watering. Why don't you tell us? No, you can't make it sound like an attack, Emily. It's like it was an attack. I have got an eyeliner for you today. Um, it is an autograph coal eyeliner. Um, which is slipping around in my hand because I just made the mistake of putting hand cream on. Hand cream is evil because if you put it on, you then can't open doors, you can't pick up cups. So I'm sliding around with my autograph brown eyeliner. Now, 
coral eyeliner, you either use it or you don't, but I want to tell you about a new way to use it. Um, this stuff is uh, vegan and not tested on animals and cruelty-free and all that good stuff. And it's not the cheapest, but it's not wildly expensive. I don't think you need to spend a million pounds on eyeliner. You don't need to spend a million pounds on anything, but particularly not on eyeliner. Emily's still looking scared because Emily has never in her natural life used eyeliner, is that right? Not the way you did it. So what you don't do is just line the inside of your eyes because that's going to make them look smaller. And also what you don't do is just line all around the outside of your eyes because that's not going to make them look bigger. But there is a way to use eyeliner, I have discovered, that delivers impact. I've got my theory about makeup and impact. So it just gives you a sort of more penetrating stare, gives you a bit of definition in your eyes, which is what I've just done to Emily. And the way to do that is do everything as you normally would, your mascara, eyeshadow if you're wearing it, I never wear it during the day. Um, and then you just use the eyeliner. This is a dark brown. I think that black eyeliner is pretty harsh for daytime. Um, I actually think black mascara is quite harsh for daytime as well. So if you use a brown black, you're going to get something more natural and less sort of hysterical looking. Um, and you take it and you just line the inner upper rim of your eye. So just the inner corner, the upper inner corner, and then you blink and blink and blink, which basically blots itself into the lower inner corner. And with mascara, what you have is a really modern eye with a really modern line. Um, so it gives you more impact than mascara, but you're not doing a whole wing liquid eyeliner, you know, cat's eye, feline flick situation, which can look a bit effortful. And actually, in a funny kind of way at the moment, it looks a bit, I mean, almost dated. I'm not sure that a feline flick is what you want to have on the tube on your way to work, for me anyway. Um, the other way, if you do use um, a liquid eyeliner and a feline flick at, uh, in the evenings, a very good way to use a coal, and this is what Joan Collins told me that she used to do when she did her makeup for Dynasty. And if you look up, you may be so young and don't know who she is, but she played Lexus Colby in Dynasty. Our spirit animal. Spirit animal. And she did all her own makeup, which is just unsurpassably good. And also, she had to be on set at five and the makeup had to, in the morning and the makeup had to last till ten in the evening and it stayed put. And the, re the way she got to stay put was she used a liquid eyeliner and used on her, um, you know, upper eye, upper eyelid, and then used a cold pencil over the top. So, Emily... To fix it. To fix it, exactly. Now, as someone who's never used eyeliner before, how do you feel about the fact that I've just attacked you with this and lined your inner corner of your eye? Well, it felt very unnatural. She says. She basically had to be held down. Um, and in fact, the first time we tried this in pre-rehearsal rehearsal, I had to. Sh I was shouting, stop my eyes, my eyes. Um, but I decided to be a grown up and gird my loins and let her do it. And actually, although there is such an odd sensation, and I wear contact lenses, which is so odd yeah, that why I would be squeamish. Yeah, but it's very specific bit of your eye. It's called the tide line. That's what makeup artists call it. And it is very, it's a bit like the funny bone on your knee. It is, it is a strange, tickly, weirdy sensation. And particularly when you're not doing it to yourself, if you know what I mean. When you're being held down by me. <laughs> exactly. And, um, but, but then once I put some mascara on, and I'm looking at one eye, and, and, um, but, um, but it's always best when, when operating with a mirror not to try and not to take on the whole thing. No, no, one once. part of the face at a time. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, God, the horror. Where madness lies. Um, but, um, and it does, it's given, definition is the word. It's interesting. I'd be interested to see if I can replicate it in the other eye or if I'll be in A&E before we know it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, let's see. And the other thing to know about these is that if you have um, brown eyes, a navy blue is very good. And it won't read as navy blue. It'll just read as black. They all do. Um, as I say, brown's a little bit softer than black and a little bit less, sorry, aging. And if you've got green eyes, then um, use a dark purple, like an aubergine. And it just lights everything up. So there are so all sorts of tricks you can do with eyeliner. I feel like it's been slightly neglected of late. So I'd like to be the person to bring it back into your lives. Belle, did you bring your makeup bag? I did. Can we have a little r- rummage around in your makeup bag? Mm. Um, I'm not expecting it to be, you know, bottomless. So what is your makeup bag? Well, I've got this. This uh, is that leather. Uh, what's it called? The designer. Catherine, somebody, Vivier, not Roger. Well, there's all sorts in here. It, it's everything. It's got my roll-ups, my purse, my cash. I've so gone it's off. not really a makeup bag? It's just got everything. Glasses. My need, most needed painkillers. So there's quite a bit of mostly Charlotte Tilbury retoucher. Okay, so hang on. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Charlotte Tilbury retoucher. Yeah. And um, when did you, how did you discover that? Well, when Charlotte Tilbury started, and I've worked with her on, in fact, the last fashion show I ever did, she did the makeup and she's a genius. So when she started her own line she invited lots of people and everyone got made over and made up and she's so kind of she's so brilliantly engaged and so she sent everyone lots of stuff and I I I love I love her thing it's fantastic so So what do you use that for I'm quite loyal to a brand um I use that for my under my eye I use it kind of a bit like on the you know, under my eyes, my forehead, around my nose, a bit around my mouth, a little, but literally ant size <laughs> dose. I'm, I, I'm always, I'm a bit err uh, on. I don't know if it even makes any difference how little I, but definitely the biggest bags under my eyes. But I you put feel it there. like it does. That's the point, isn't it? You yeah, put no, it on and, it, you, and it, the process yeah. makes you think, okay, well then that's done now. And the process yeah. sort of slightly says because I'm worth it. Yes. You well, know. it's not. It is. It's, it's an nice act of self-care. It's kind of. It the. I think it, you're right. It's good to think I'm going. I'm going to you know make the most of myself. And actually, when I do wear that concealer, it definitely does a good job. You know, mm. it's better than just going around with. Massive. For years, I only wore any kind of makeup out of politeness. So that when I turned up to a meeting, it looked like <gasps> you I gave had, a shit. I, exactly. Um, um, and what else is in there? So there? then. The other sort of most key things is my Yves Saint Laurent dark brown eye pencil. I've got two. One's a bit sharper, but I always wear this, almost always. And um, I I often don't bother, I don't really bother mostly with mascara anymore because it tends to melt. And so... um, Something happens, I think, with mascara when you hit 40. I used to put on a full face of makeup and go to bed, probably drunk, and wake up and it was all still there. And now, within about half an hour, my mascara is migrating, and I really have yeah. tried a lot of them. Yeah, me too. I think it's our Jewish skin or something. I'm quite yes, uh, melty, yeah. softy, greasy. It, it might just be the soft, you know, sagging so, eyelids, the sagging eyelids um, that are just knocking it down. Um, I'm really no, sorry don't to say, say that. that. Um, um, I've got a Charlotte Tilbury makeup brush and I have also 
I've got the thing I love, which I've actually run out of that she does, is a Wonder Glow, which is a very light, very, very sheer kind of a thing. Basi it's basically um, a radiant primer. Yeah, it's like a veil. Um, but I run out, so I've got the, the slightly heavier thing, which I put like a, a, an a ant size portion. So this and is the. Um, I just brush the light one. Sometimes I don't put any on. I just brush the. F you just see brush if your there's face. a bit of debris left, left on the on brush. The brush. Um, and what's that tube? This is uh, Sisley Super Soin Solaire. This is uh, sun protection. Are you good at using SPF in the morning? No, I? I mostly don't. I normally don't go in the sun that much. Um, but anyway, that's the best stuff. I have also got, I've got this um, Relida, what is it, almond hand cream. I like putting cream on my hands all the time. When do you put it on your hands? Sort of on, on quite often during the day. I'll Whatever I've got, I'll put it on. Doesn't it make your hands feel slidey? No. Oh, I, I'm, I just I'm feel like this, the peril of hand cream. Like you put the, it on in the loo and then you can never get out. <laughs> you can't uh, open the door, you can't yeah. pick up a cup. You can't, no. you, then you wipe your hands on your well, dry you can, clean like, skirt. You rub it on back-to-back -back hands. It, okay. Anyway, I, I... I do it in the car when I'm trapped. Yeah, I hate looking down and finding my hands are dry, so I... Looks I down, hands panic. Yeah. <laughs> What else have I got? Oh, God, this as well. This is lovely. This is Chanel sort of faint blusher with a little brush. So do you use your big brush for this um, Chanel um, Orchid Rose? Mm. Orchid Rose blusher. I often put it on my eyelids as well, the rouge. But I mean, it doesn't make... I'm quite pale, so sometimes I try and make myself look a little healthier, but... <laughs> I don't know if it makes any difference. That's pretty much it. Oh, oh, I've got this. I love this eye toning, white tea eye toning gel from the from Neil's yard. From Neil's yard, which is fantastic. It's what very does that cool. Do? I don't know. It just feels good, and it does. It feels like it shrinks bags. I doubt it. I did buy something that shrinks bags, and it felt too weird. I. I ended up thinking I'd rather have the bag than the weird shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. And then the other thing, I've got a lighter from the Trotsky Museum in Mexico City and a badge, Judy Blaine badge and a, uh, some contact lenses, always very useful. And the other thing that I always have is my peppermint oil. Ah, now, interesting. Do you know... What, what, peppermint oil does many, many things. Mm. First of all, it repels mice. Oh. If you have a mouse problem in your house, which I may or may not have had recently. <laughs> um, it's very good for trapped wind. Very good for digestion. How do you, how yeah. do you consume it? I just, um, you I just drop it on or put it on my on finger and go, yeah. Or you put a couple of drops in boiling water. Mm, it's, no, it's fantastic. And Does it wake you up? Yeah, it does, but it makes... I. My, I have so many stomach aches and my stomach is always a problem for me and I find it just incredibly soothing and I find it calming and apparently also if you kind of in if you kind of inhale it a bit it's very good for headaches too um, what do you use on your skin I use mostly Environ which I found to be the most incredible stuff 
and I also use a bit of Sisley, a bit of Neil's Yard, and a bit of um, Dr. Seabag has some a couple of really amazing things too. I like different people's face masks. Dr. Seabag has one. It's like bright orange. Yeah, it's the, it's the vitamin C exfoliating yeah, mask. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, whenever I put a mask mm. on, occasionally I have a tube of pure and I put it on nourishing, whatever. And I feel like... Oh, the pure oh God, charcoal as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like here is a woman who has her shit together because she is walking around with a mask. As I almost to, feel, yeah. look at me. I'm doing a mask. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you remember when we were... The, Annabelle and I There is a woman have, in the bath. With a mask on. Completely. I feel like I'm having a good cry. You know, it's really weird. I feel like I'm just, this is a moment exclusively between me and myself. Yes, exactly. I don't like anyone seeing me in my mask. I mean, no one must ever see me in a mask because I really like the fabric sheet masks. And you look Yeah, they're scary, horrifying. They? Yeah. Also, my facialist, Joanne Evans, she, I go and see her once a month and she puts a mask on that goes over my eyes as well. And it's a bit like being buried alive in a rather pleasant way, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Buried alive in moisturizer. <laughs> um, do you remember the first pot or tube of anything that you ever bought with your own money? I, I used to buy these sachets of somebody's face mask in, in a sachet, like Christie's. I remember <gasps> those from the post office. Oh, my God. And then you'd put it on, and I remember the first time I washed it off, and my skin was amazing. And then half an hour later, it was like terrible field with things growing. Oh, you know, it had <laughs> in those days fa- face masks. They would they would bring everything up, so you looked terrible. You couldn't go out for like a couple of days or something. So, I, uh, yeah. Um, and what about? Um, Smells and fragrances and scents. So um, do you remember how that began for you? I remember the smell of patchouli, which I really didn't like. It was awful. It was like association with dirtiness, chaos, kind of cover-up. But oddly enough, I quite like it now as a sort of bass note. Like, it, I have it in quite a lot of my perfumes. It's like... It's like the grit underneath. I always remember in that book, Perfume, and he gets something together and he puts a bit of cat shit in to create the sort of bass note type of thing. And I, I think patchouli's a bit like that. Patchouli's your cat shit, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a way, it's like it's the imperfection that makes the magic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so what, what, what can we talk about, like, basically your life in scent? What have mm. you moved through? Because I know exactly what I've worn from when I was 13 mm. to today. I think I remember having, I think the first bottle of scent I ever had, I'd heard about this scent called Joy. And I was having a very inappropriate relationship. And he when I was a teenager with someone so much older, it sort of makes me slightly shudder now to think of it, but he did buy me a bottle of this Joy, and it was so... Which is a very womanly fragrance. It was very old school, but I was into that. I was really, you know, reading all my Balzac and all this kind of weird relationships between men and women, and it seemed part of that. And then... um, and then I, um, my net, my sort of big love, um, this other much older man, but very, very nice, 
who he used to wear Guerlain, Abbey Rouge, and I used to wear that too. And then I kind of graduated on to fracas. I can't um, deal with it very well. Yeah, I, it makes I, me feel like my eyeballs are going to explode. It makes my teeth itch. But it's a bit Too like a, a like an old boyfriend. You never go. I never go back anyway. And a perfume. I'll never wear a perfume that I used to wear. I got to go forward. So even though I love it, I I couldn't wear it anymore. And then I, and then I was a passionate admirer of um, Christian Lacroix. And when he brought out his first perfume, I just bought it, whether I liked it or not. My father didn't like scent at all. So it felt quite sort rebellious. of um, rebellious to wear scent. Um, did he feel it was disruptive? What did, or did it just bother him? Or was like it just a quirk? things to get in the way of flesh, I suppose. So he didn't, didn't like makeup. He didn't like scent. He liked the person you yeah. know that the essence of them yeah, rather yeah. than some other essence yeah. so I I, I I suppose it felt really kind of um, daring to actually be a bit manufactured to form I like to be formal in a different way I liked I don't know there was a certain I like uniform I think and um, so I construct a lot of my outfits you know, I liked a collar because it looked like a uniform and it was a kind of composed, it was closed. And also I liked the white, this thing that Chanel said, a string of pearls casts a glow on your face, which is very flattering for a woman. And I liked a white collar. And so I'd often wear like a black dress with a white shirt underneath and the collar coming out. Like a novice nun. Yeah, that keeps coming up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should buy you a wimple. Oh, no. um, and um, and so, oh, what happened after the La Croix years? Oh, then I yeah Prada, the Prada amber, and that. So I wore that for, until I made my own amber. I love that smell. It's very kind of, it's comforting. It reminds me, and also the sort of something from Morocco, that a sort of sweetness and then it smells a bit like a cake shop which I really like and it has some um, sophistication um, I love that and then the other of my own perfumes that I wear is the one called 1970 which I think smells like someone having the first sip of a drink on you know around a pool the fragrance of yours that I love is Ginsberg yeah, I love that. Because I feel when I wear it, I feel like I might be, you know, about to have an affair with a college professor in <gasps> autumn with a fire going and a breeze coming through a window. Mm. And, um, and on certain, in certain moods, I, I wear it because it feels sort of conservative and yet daring at the same mm. time. Yes, yeah. And that's warming. Good. Yeah. And just sort of to start to wind up, um, are there any mantras that you live by? Any things that any things that go through your head that make you feel better about the world or the day that get you you know that sort of get you through? Um, God, yeah, they probably are. That's sort of embarrassing, but um, I I have I I can I have terrible sort of negative fantasy, and I'm really kind of making an effort against that because I can drift off and be lost for days you know in this kind of hypothetical what catastrophizing kind yeah of yeah and now I sometimes I now at the moment I'm trying is I sort of think I catch myself and think 
no thank you thank you god thank you thank you and i do, it's it's sort of stupid but it stops that it's and then break. i think yeah actually it's quite exciting i feel pretty lit up about my life you know i can i can be kind of a, you know there for it the good moments instead of disappearing off i i think i had a habit all my life of if i could think of the worst case scenario then it couldn't be that bad but what i find is i'm just thinking of the worst case scenario all the you time you back it, yourself into a corner a with that thinking waste of energy yeah. so when i and uh, i'm doing this sort of hab you know stopping myself when i do my mind opens up and i you know my job is to get ideas and be aware and see things and suddenly it's like I take the glass off and there it all is and yeah. and I feel really excited about it. I like it, I'm going to try it. I mean obviously it doesn't always happen. Sometimes I seize on a resentment and like slaver over it, you know, because Yes, let me take fun. this into my cupboard and I chew know. on it for a while. <laughs> but but um, sometimes I think it can be about remembering that someone's reaction isn't information about yourself, it's yeah. information about them. And also it may have nothing to do with me. And the older I get, the more I'm able to do that. And um, I just want my thoughts and my my mind and my heart to be like on call for all the good, all the best things that I want in my life. So I'm making a conscious effort to to make that happen. Well. You know, so all that remains for us to do is say thank you so much to the beautiful Bella Freud. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to Annabel Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. We didn't come this far to only come this far. Come this far.